uh, as we uh, come on Tuesday for that service. And so I want to encourage you uh, to be faithful. I want to encourage you uh, to, be in, to be a part of the service on Tuesday night and let's believe that God will meet with us and visit us. 2 Kings chapter 13 tonight. The book of 2 Kings chapter 13. Uh, as most of you are aware, beloved, games, when you play any sort of games, um, I don't know about you, but I play to win. Okay? If you're not playing to win, uh, you're wasting your time. And I remember being involved in, you know, different types of games that we used to play in the past. We used to play basketball and badminton and uh, ping pong, table tennis, uh, all that kind of sports, uh, recreational games. And every time we played, we played because we essentially wanted to win at the end. As most of you know, recently, my son and I, we play uh, a game called uh, FIFA. And in this game, uh, we play, I don't play to lose, I play to win. And when he wins, I get angry. When he wins, when I win, he gets angry. Because there's something inside the man. There is something inside the DNA of the human heart that desires to win and to shout victory. And so I remember even when I used to play badminton in those days, that I would fight my way without giving up. I mean, until I had my last amount of energy left in me, I was always determined to win and to have the victory. Now, I say that to you because I declare to you that the Christian life is supposed to be a life of victory. God wants us to have victories. I don't know about you, beloved, but the Christian life is not a life that is a life full of defeat, a life that is not filled with victories, but it is a life supposed to be filled with victories. And our victory is subjected to our response tonight. How do I gain victory as a Christian? How do you respond to God tonight? Much of the victories we have in life is linked to the response we have in life. We are responsible. The decisions we make can either lead us to victories or defeat. Choices that we make can either lead us to victory or defeat. And I say to you tonight that your decisions and choices will determine the victories in your life. It's no mystery tonight that a believer who walks in victory is a believer that has made choices that contributed to those victories. And to the victories that you see in life and counterintuitive to that, it is also true. If you look at a Christian, if you look at a believer who's walking in defeat, you can be certain, you can be certain that they made decisions that led them to the place of defeat. I want to give you three keys tonight to living a life of victory. Very quickly, in 2 Kings chapter 13, 14 through 19, I want to read that passage to you tonight and read it along with you. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 19. Bible says, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hands on it. And Elijah put his hands on the king's hands. He said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha, Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Apek, or, or Apek. <laughs> till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. 
And the man of God was angry with him, and you, she said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. So in this passage, Elisha the prophet, we know he has been a man of God. He has been a notable servant of God. And in this passage, he is about to die. Elisha is close to death and as we see this, as he is about to come to that place in his life, the closing chapters of his life as we would say it, we find some incredible insight to the keys that lead to victory. He left these keys with Joash, the king of Israel. He said, if you are going to see victory as Israel is in war with Syria, as Israel is in the battlefield and the battle ground the only way you're going to gain victories here we find elisha giving him those keys and tonight this is relevant to us this is important to us because as a christian you are supposed to be seeing god give you victories in life there should be testimonies there should be signs and wonders there should be moments of breakthroughs there should be moments of miracles there should be seasons that you would testify that God has indeed done something and those moments those milestones those reference points of victories would give you uh, a certain uh, 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 an assurance that God is on the move Joash, as we find in this passage, embraced Elisha as a father. Now, I'm preaching this partly because I preached about the father this morning. I spoke about a son to the father. And when a father is embraced in his rightful place, a father has authority over the son. The father has influence over the son. The father has say over the son. But the, and the Bible gives us significant insight concerning this. He turned to Elisha and he said, Oh my father, my father in verses 14. He says, Oh my father, my father. So as you read this passage, we know the story of Jesus that when they asked, Who do you say that I am? And they said, You know, some say you are, you know, the disciple of John the Baptist. You are so and so, you are so and so. And he said, Peter said, You are Christ, the son of the living God. If you notice in those passages, Judas didn't look at Jesus as Lord. He looked at him as teacher. I preached on that before. That when you observe the response of Judas, he says, teacher. He didn't look at him. So what you embrace, what you call, what you acknowledge, the authority over you dictates the direction that you go in life. This man had respect for Elisha. This man had reverence for the man of God. This man looked to him as a man who was a father. And Elisha, as we know it, has been an incredible help to the king of Israel. And there's a lesson that we need to take from here. Listen very carefully to me. Who you take advice from will determine the victories you have in life. Who you listen to. Who speaks to you? Who gives you advice? And when you choose today, who you will attend to and listen to, those advisors that you receive will determine the victories in your life. Joash understood. Elisha was a man of God. Elisha has proven himself again and again. Miracles are signs and wonders. The spirit of Elijah was upon Elisha, we know. The Bible says that Elijah threw his mantle and he says that a double portion will be upon Elisha. We see the tangible hand of God upon this man. There is no argument that this man have the authority to speak into my life does this man have the right to say anything to me listen Elisha was a man of God he had all the right to speak to Joash now it was Joash's choice if he was going to listen and he was going to take advice from Elisha the free will that you and I have 
that when the man of God speaks, when Elisha spoke, Joash had the free will to choose if he was going to receive these words from Elisha or he was going to ignore it. Listening to the man of God, listening to Elisha was the only way to victory for Israel. Are you, are you following me today? This is important. This is why you hear me often touch on this subject and I've always said to this congregation, be careful what you listen to and who you listen to. The Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians that evil company corrupts good habits. When you listen to things on YouTube, when you listen to things spoken on, on various platforms that you don't know who that person is, you have no clue where they come from. Listen, beloved, I'm so convinced as you look at the culture of Christianity today, people are not truly chasing after what is truth. They seem to be more buying into the messages of blessing, the messages of grace, the messages of supreme happiness the messages of peace blessing i will bless you peace i will leave with you and that is the only doctrine that they seem to be promoting in the christian world today and that is what christians are subscribing to you cannot expect to take that advice from someone who has no track record and not proven themselves and expect victory. I can tell you stories. I know of a couple many years ago that decided to uh, 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 go and explore and listen to different Christians. They began to go to meetings that were gathering, you know. You know, you have all this thing, you know, a businessman fellowship. Have you ever heard of that? Businessman, you know, uh, F, uh, what, what they call it, uh, FGBs, FGB, full gospel businessmen. You know, I preached one time and I spoke at a meeting like that. It was just right down the street. I spoke at a meeting like that. Later, I got a chance to talk to a lot of these men and I asked them, so which church do you attend? Oh, we don't go to a church. Why? And then you find out as you talk to them, they have problem with leadership. They cannot submit to authority. Their problem is they are rebellious. I'm not saying all of them, but most of them have a complaint about a pastor. Most of them have something negative to say about a pastor. Most of them have something to say that, oh, this man of God didn't, you know, uh, do this or do that. And, and they're unhappy and they're so bitter on the inside. And it's very fascinating to me that it, the, the, you know, have you heard the term that, you know, bitter people draw bitter people? You draw the same type of people like you. And I realized in a lot of that, I realized that as I was uh, pastoring and here's this couple, they begin to explore, they begin to branch out and they heard a man who said, you know, oh, you should come to this church and they started listening. They went over to that church and they started listening and in that church, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. In that church, they don't believe in tithing. And so this couple began to say, you know what, oh, uh, you know, tithing is not biblical. And they start arguing about it. And then they start arguing about, oh, you know, praying in tongues and being filled with the Holy Spirit is not biblical. We shouldn't be practicing it. They came out from that, from, from that environment confused and messed up. But there was that season where God just stopped blessing them. Where God stopped giving them breakthrough. Nothing they did worked. They would try to do, you know, some kind of work here and some kind of work. They would try to, you know, labor and labor and labor and it always returned to zero because who you listen to will determine your victories. The second thing that we see, or rather, let's read Proverbs 19.20 as I leave you with this passage of Scripture. Listen to counsel. Receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. You know what's the greatest, uh, 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 the greatest hindrance to listening to, an, to instruction? It's pride. Ego and pride. And this is the danger that we have to be careful about. Who you listen to, 
Who do you give your ears to? Who do you pay attention to? Joash listened to Elisha and therefore he was on the road to victory. He embraced Elisha as a father. The second thing we see here is every victory. Every victory comes with a personal price that we are willing to pay. You will never have victory beyond what you're willing to pay. Pastor Campbell always made this infamous statement. He says, you will never rise. Your preaching, listen to what I say, your preaching will never rise above your prayer life. When you listen to a man preach, you can identify how much of time he spends in prayer. You will never rise above your prayer life. If you pray 10 minutes a day and then you, you, know, you assume that you're going to come up here or come up to a pulpit and then you know, just you know, present a message based on you know, your knowledge, your insight, your general knowledge and, and you know, your intelligence and all of that. Listen, you can do all of that. That's what most uh, uh, motivational speakers do. But preaching requires anointing. What causes preaching to move people is conviction. Conviction comes through anointing. So that's why when Pastor Campbell coined that statement, it is so true, beloved. You will never, your preaching will never rise above your prayer life. Can I say it a different way? Your victories, your life, who you are as a Christian, it will never excel, advance and move forward above your prayer life. There's a personal price to, pray, to pay. Victory, as we know, is never cheap. We all want victories. We all want to win. Elisha tells Joash that victory will start in verses 15. Isaac, verses 15. Take a bow and some arrows. Do you see that? He tells Elisha, there's something you're going to have to do, Elisha. You can't just expect me to wave my wand. Do you remember the story of Naaman? When he went to Elisha and Elisha said, you know what, you need to go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. The only way for, Na to, for Naaman to have victory, the only way for Naaman to have been healed from his leprosy was for him to pay a price for his own victory. I can have victories in life, but it will be personal. In order for you to have victories in life, you're going to have to pay a price. I was so encouraged this morning when our sister Venus shared with me of some things that God has been doing in her family. And, and you know, you know, I made this statement. It's no mystery. We, my wife and I talk about it. We made, I made this statement. I said, she is one woman who has seen God answer prayers. That's the blessing of God. That here's a woman who has seen victory upon victory upon victory in her life and it's no mystery. Why? Because there's a price to pay and when you're willing to pay the price, you will see victories. Now, by the sheer nature of Elisha requesting or, or commanding Joash to take the bow and the arrow, what Elisha was instructing him to do was he was, this was a, this symbolized an act of being on the offensive. That means, Elisha, you're not going to sit around. You're not going to wait for the devil to attack you. You're going to attack him first. You're not going to wait for him to come and throw a punch at you and then you're going to start praying. No, 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 no. You're going to get on the offensive. So when he said, take the bow, take the arrow and shoot it. In other words, it was customary in those days. Histori history shows, this to shows us this. Most recently, Russia waged warfare against Ukraine. Right? Most people are saying, you know, oh, Ukraine is, you know, uh, uh, right and Ukraine is this, Ukraine is that. Uh, I can't go into too much of details, but I tell you what, um, I stand for the fact that Russia is doing what is right. I don't know, but I don't want to 
comedian leading my country. I offend a lot of people, I know that. But if you know the real inside story of what's happening, you know for a fact that what Russia is doing is the fact that Here's a country, Ukraine, has broken the treaty, has broken the laws, they have broken their agreements, they violated their agreements, that the agreement was clear that you should not join NATO. They agreed, they agreed again and again and again. And you know what Russia did? Enough is enough. I'm not going to wait for you anymore. I've told you not to do it, you still insist on doing it. And that's why you need to study history to know and so that's the short story of it. So when Russia decided we're going to wage war, they decided to play the offense. And that's exactly what you and I have to do as Christians. You cannot wait for the devil to attack you and then you start getting on your knees and praying. Take the bowl, fire it, and show the enemy that you mean business. That's a key to victory. That's why the victory belongs to the people who rise up in the offensive. They don't wait. They don't wait for the enemy to throw sickness into their life. They don't wait for the enemy to throw... That's why God has vindicated us as a church because the truth is we have always been on the offensive. We say, devil, you won't even touch us. You take the bowl and you shoot it in the enemy's territory. You tell the enemy, if you touch us, you die. Joash had to put some effort into seeing victory. It required for him, despite he was a king, his actions will contribute to the victory. What Elijah was telling him, what Elisha was telling him to do, was simply stand up and fight. And this is what I'm trying to explain or elaborate here, beloved. There is a price to pay. So not only do we have to be careful who we listen to, but we must also answer the question, am I willing to pay the price? It will have to be personal. It will involve time. It will involve your energy. It will involve your effort. It will involve sacrifice. It will involve commitment. Can I put it out to you this evening? Who says victory is cheap? You're going to have to make commitments to be in the house of God. You're going to have to make decisions to serve God. You're going to have to make efforts to say, I am going to wake up and pray every day. You're going to have to make decisions. It's personal. And when you make those kind of decisions, when you choose to do those things, victory becomes your portion. And this is why even as much as we want to see victory, I can wish victory over you. I counsel people today who desire that God, why am I not seeing breakthrough? Why am I not seeing victory? I always tell them, I say, bro, listen to me. You cannot see victory just because I'm a prayerful person. You have to make effort. It's not just me. As your pastor, I pray. But if you have no effort to pray, if you have no effort to come, if you have no effort to commit yourself, if you have no effort and dedication to God, you're not paying a price. Why should God give you victory? Amen. You want victory in your jobs. Finances. You want victory with children. Maybe it has been an area where we've been defeated over and over and over again. We never seem to be able to break through there. We never seem to be able to find deliverance there. It will require our effort. It will require decisions. You know what this generation has become? A generation that has accepted defeat. Ah, this is the way it is. Lah. I'll never be able to get anything good. My life is like that. You know why they accept defeat? Listen, I've been a pastor long enough. I can say this tonight because they don't want to change. They rather stay like that than change. They rather stay like that then make an effort. I make a statement to you, beloved, tonight. You must want victory. You must want it. 
It cannot just be my desire. Do you want victories in areas of your life? You must want victory. If you're not interested in it, then why should God give you victory? Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The longer, I said this morning, the longer you are a Christian, if you're growing in spiritual years but not growing spiritually, it will become easier for you to walk away from God, to become less reliant on God to become less dependent on God. And this is the risk we face. That's why, that's why Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Are you still fighting? As I said this morning, many a times, people seem to be keen in having breakthrough financially and breakthrough in all of these areas and they seem to assume that God owes them these things. God don't owe us any of that. If you have a life that you're breathing and walking, God don't owe you anything else. I sit down with people and I can tell you, it's so mind-boggling. Why doesn't God give me breakthrough in my finances? Why doesn't God? You know, the truth be told, I know we expect that, but God doesn't need to do that for us. Elisha then goes on and he instructs Joash in verses 16. Put your hand on the bowl. So he put his hand on it. Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. There's something powerful that's, that's transpiring here. There's a transaction, a spiritual transaction. This is a picture of not just him taking up, paying a personal price, but part of paying that personal price comes with preparation. So he's preparing. He is putting his hands on the bow. He takes the bow. He places his hands on the bow. And as he places his hands on the bow, he is about to shoot. And as he's about to shoot, he's prepared. He's ready. But these were the instructions that came from the man of God. Position. Prepare yourself. Pick it up. Put your hands there. And as he instructs him to do that, beloved, he goes on to say, position yourself. And what, does ha what happens here is powerful. The man of God placed his hands on the king's hands. What is happening here? Joash, as he placed his hands there, the man of God placed his hands on his hands, Joash needed to listen to instructions if Elisha's hands were going to be on his hands. In the same manner, I say to you, we need God's hands on our lives. But God's hands will never be on your life until you follow what God tells you to do. Put your hands on the bow. You can fight. You can argue. This is why many a times God's hands is right there. But we have not followed instructions. In one of his meetings, D.L. Moody was explaining to his audience the truth that we cannot bring about spiritual change in our lives by our own strength. So he demonstrated the principle like this. Tell me, he said to his audience, how can I get air out of the tumbler I have in my hand? One man said, suck it out with a pump. But Moody replied, that would create a vacuum and shatter it. Finally, after many suggestions, people were saying all kinds of things. He picked up a pitcher, quietly filled the glass with water. There he said, the air is all out now. He then explained that the victory 
for the child of God does not come by working hard to eliminate sinful habits, but rather allowing Christ to take full possession. When you are doing what God called you to do, God places His hands over your life. God called me to preach. And if I am doing His will by preaching, God's hand will be upon my life. God called me to pray. And if I am praying and doing what He told me to do, God's hand will be upon my life. Are you with me tonight? God called me to be faithful to tithing. And if I am doing what He called me to do, then God's hand will be upon my life. You see, this is the, this is the question today. What triggers God to place His hands upon you? You see, it took the hand of God upon, upon Joash to bring about victory. You cannot have victory without God. You cannot have victories in life if God is not with you. Joash had to listen. He had to take the bow. He had to pick it up. He had to place his hands at the right place. He had to then say, you know what, I'm going to shoot. And the hand of Elisha, the hand of the man of God, the hand of God, a symbol of God's hand being upon your life, caused victory to be possible. It is when God's hand is upon us that breakthroughs happen. It is when God's hand is upon us that miracles happen. You remember the story of Moses when he took the rod and he placed it on the floor. The victory of God, eventually the deliverance was because God's hand was on Moses. The victory that was on Paul, that he preached and 3,000 people got saved, that victory came about because Paul was doing what God told him to do and God placed his hands upon him. So the question then, is God's hand on your life? You cannot have victory any other way. Elisha then gives another rule for victory. He then goes on to say, so we, we talked about who you listen at, to advice from. We talked about paying the price for the victory. That you're going to have to pick the bow. You're going to have to place your hands on the bow and God places His hands on you. Right? But the third thing you see here, He exposes another rule for victory. He says this, Open the east window. Which is a powerful revelation that the only way to victory, beloved, we must understand there is a place of target where the arrow will need to be shot. And unless you open the east window, unless you open up, the window and expose it, you will never know which area or which, which, which direction the arrow would go. And so what, the, what this represents is that as they're standing in Israel, he opens the window and what does he see? He sees the enemy's territory. Another key to victory is this. You must learn to expose the devil. You have to call the devil a liar. If you are going to have victories in life, it is also going to involve you coming to a place and saying, you know what? This is what the enemy is doing. This is not right. This is not acceptable. My marriage shouldn't end in divorce. My relationship, my children cannot continue going down the path of rebellion. My business cannot constantly be cursed like this. You have to expose that this is the work of Satan. How many people are so blinded in the, in the state that they are in? They don't even see that their life has no victory. They think it's okay. 
They don't seem to have victories in areas of their life. They never seem to be able to overcome sin, carnality, worldliness. They never seem to be able to call out the devil's lies. You and I have to learn to expose the enemy. That's why, that's why Elisha was saying, open the window. Open the window. Let the light in. Expose who the enemy is. How many know that the enemy, Satan, loves darkness? The Bible says that he is in darkness. It is God who is in light. And I say to you, beloved, that there is... I don't know, as you think about it, the only way to allow you to see something, many years ago in SS2, uh, they used to have, some of you I may remember, I was dating my wife back then, we didn't even go to this restaurant, but it's called, uh, what was it called? It, it was pitch black. They, no light. No, no, no. It's pitch black. I mean, you walk in, it's, remember in SS2? They had this restaurant and it was a thematic restaurant. It is a dark restaurant. So you go in to dine and the chef will serve you food. You don't even know what you're eating. So listen, I want you to imagine this. You're going into a restaurant like that. It's pitch black. I mean, you cannot see any. You go in, they ask you what you want to eat. They give you a few items verbally. You make your choice and then the chef will prepare the food. He'll bring it to you, place it on your table. And so you're solely dependent on your taste buds as you're eating. You might eat a cockroach. You might eat a rat. You might eat a chichak. You don't know because it's dark. But how many know if you turned on your light, you know exactly what you're eating? That's a picture of you exposing Satan. Saying, no, this is, this is the work of Satan. This is why you have to be on the offensive. You have to learn to pray and fight. You have to learn to call out the enemy's strategy. You have to accept this is not right. Many years ago, I told you the story. I was in prayer one morning and uh, I get a text message. My credit card has been used in different parts of the, you know, different parts of the world. One was Croatia, I think. One was Czech Republic. And I know for a fact I didn't use my credit card at all in those places. And so I figured out, you know, someone had stolen my card number and had gone ahead and used my credit card. And in that, I realized this was not me. This was an outsider stealing my credit card. I realized that. I called it out. I called the bank. I said, you have to stop this. I'm not accepting this. And so on and so forth. We exposed it. We exposed the culprit behind it. Eventually, the money came back to me. But how many people, just like that, what they do is, ah, yeah, it's okay lah. But that's exactly how they are in life. You don't see breakthrough for one month. You don't see victories for three years. You don't see things happening in your life. And you're like, I'm cool. How can that be? You have to expose. This is not the will of God. This is Satan stopping any type of victory in my life. And Elisha, you find that Elisha right here tells him, open the window. Can I ask you this evening, are you willing to face reality will you call out the problems you're going through for what it is where does the problem lie in what's causing defeat in marriage finances ministry family you have to come clean part of victory is learning to come clean before god 
Proverbs 28, 13. The Bible says, He who covers sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Elisha then tells Joash to shoot, which reveals the need for action. Don't just talk. Hit knowledge. Joash is required to act upon the knowledge given to him. Now, Joash, listen. Remember, we are building this up, right? There's a price for you to pay. The price was, now he had to pick up the bow. He had to place his hands on the bow. And the Bible tells us that the, that the man of God placed his hands on him. And now Elisha had, sorry, Joash had to open the window. After he opened the window, Elisha tells him, shoot. Now you have a choice. Am I going to shoot or am I going to pose with the bow? There must be action. Deliverance tonight, as I bring this down. Deliverance tonight happens when you activate your faith and you step out. You have to let it go. You have to shoot. This involves the similar concept with David and Goliath. This involves the success he saw. In 1 Samuel 17.45, David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you had defied. He didn't just stand there. He threw the rock. Don't talk about prayer. Don't just talk about being in church. Don't just talk about, you know what, oh, I love God. Put it in action. What kind of words do we speak in the face of defeat? What kind of words do you speak? Elijah's, Elisha said, shoot, which was fate being put into action. Do we speak words of faith in the face of defeat? Or do we speak fear? See, our negativity will contribute to the outcomes of life. Let's close with this finally tonight. Victory tonight must be personal. As I said earlier, if we want victory, we must want, uh, sorry, if we want to see victory, we must desire it. In our passage that we just read tonight as I close, it is a passage filled with choices. There were choices laid before Joash. And tonight, it's the same with you. There are choices laid before you. Joash, these are the instructions. You can take the bowl. You need to put your hands on it. You need to uh, 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 open the window. You need to prepare the shoot. These were all choices that somehow Elisha gave Joash. And despite he did everything right, listen carefully to me, he did everything right. He picked up the bow. He placed his hands on the bow. He was ready to shoot. He opened the window. Everything right. Yet when it came time, to strike the ground, he failed. What is a picture? Well, what, what kind of picture are we seeing here? You can do all of that, beloved. The Bible says in verses 18, Isaac verses 18, strike the ground. So he struck three times and what did he do? He stopped. This is a picture of a man who lacks passion, enthusiasm, a man who lacks any kind of drive, I'll just do it for the sake of doing it. And as we see here, beloved, a small effort, if only he put a bit more passion into what he was doing, if only he put a little bit more heart into what he was doing, he would have seen victory. How many stories we hear of men who fail because they didn't try hard enough. They, 
they, they lost the battle because they didn't try hard enough. This is a picture of Joash right here. He had all the instruction, just like a Christian. You know everything that the Bible says. You know what Scripture says. You know the instructions from A to Z. You know what's going to get you victory tonight. But yet somewhere, you have lost the passion. You do it half-heartedly. You pray half-heartedly. You come to church half-heartedly. You give half-heartedly. And then, you know what happens? They were defeated. This is the ingredient that leads people to defeat. I said earlier, no one can fight for you. No one can present victories for our own families. Listen very carefully. You have to fight for your own families. You have to fight for your own financial situations. You have to fight for your own children. You have to fight and cry out to God with passion. You have to fight in those areas with, with great amount of desire that God, you have to do something. You see, regrets... When it's too late. How many people sit back and they say, if only I prayed more. If only I gave more. If only I spent a little more time with them. What if I had not quit so soon? Joash may have thought, what is wrong with Elisha? What's the big deal? I hit the ground three times, didn't I? And he's making a fuss over this, this old man. Maybe Elisha is old. He's about to die. Maybe he thought Elisha had become senile. Joash may, Joash may have concluded that the problem is not me. How often, beloved, we could have saved our families. We could have saved ourselves. If only we listen to advice. Many people look at us and they say we are crazy. We are freaks. But when you've seen the effects of what happens to a person who has no victory, they lose faith in God and eventually there's no passion. Can I challenge you as I close here? Beloved, don't pray half-heartedly. Pray with passion. Don't read the Bible half-heartedly. Read it with a passion. If you're going to do something for God, do the best you can. Don't just stop and say, Oh, I've done my 10%. I fulfill my obligation. No, listen. Victory comes when you can go beyond, when passion is alive. Half-heartedness will never give you victory. Eugene Bartler, Sr. This was a man who got married 1917. Married his sweetheart, raised two children. This man was a publisher. He was a hymn writer. He wrote about 15,000 copies of hymnal books across the country or county. He felt that his calling was to publish hymns and teach singers how to sight read. So he traveled all over holding singing school and singing conventions. But in 1939, at the age of 53, his world changed drastically. Mr. Bartler suffered a paralyzing stroke that left him unable to walk or even speak, or for the most part, he was bedridden. Many felt the stroke ended his teaching ministry. Yet it was during these dark days that Eugene would write his best-known hymn, Victory in Jesus. 
While looking back over his life, he began to think back to the night he was born again and the rich life that he had seen since that night. He picked up a pen, began what would become his best-known song. He began with the following words, I heard an old, old story, how a saviour came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Realizing that the love of God had sustained him and brought him to where he was that day, he is quoted as saying, he felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to add another verse. So he wrote, I heard about his healing, of his saving power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. You know that song? Victory in Jesus, my Savior. He's the author of that song. When he completed the song, he looked back over it and seen it was a story of redeeming power from start to finish. He wanted the song to be joyous. And while returned during the darkest period of his life, he chose to make the melody full of happiness and enthusiasm. Since he was no longer able to travel, to minister or teach. His son, Eugene Jr., took over. And so Eugene Jr. would travel around the South, continuing his father's ministry. One night, as, he, as the story goes, he traveled to East Texas for a revival service. He had asked the well-known evangelist of the time to speak. The man did and gave a wonderful sermon. But when the invitation was given, no one came forward for salvation. Eugene Jr. said he felt the Lord urging him to sing his father's song, which he had not sung publicly before. He did, and as he sang, many of those people in attendance began to come forward, and at the end of the service, 50 men and women had accepted Jesus as their Savior. Jesus tonight... never altered the Christian life to be a life of defeat, but a life of victory. And unless you catch a revelation of that, unless you follow, listen to instructions. Sometimes when I counsel people, I wish I can just tell them, if you're just here for three services a week, you won't be in the problem you're in. They just come and listen to God's word. I can tell you, the three services, the people who are here, I hardly have to counsel you. Because somehow God speaks from His word. It's very fascinating that the people who seem to need counseling the most are the people who listen the least to the word of God. Victory comes when you follow instructions. Bow your heads with me.